Hello, Belinda. Hi, Omar. What is this week's gratitude blooming theme? Ah, it's one of my favorites. It's card number 20, the sunflower representing reverence. I feel like the sunflower has been an ongoing motif in the last few podcasts where just our guests have actually sort of referenced uh, the sunflower. And so it's wonderful that we get to dive into it today. Yeah. And it's um, as we kind of move into the last week of summer in this hemisphere, it's like the sunflower is the perfect uh, plant to represent summer with just the embodiment of the brightness of the sun and the longer days that we get to enjoy of sunlight uh, during this time. Well, it's definitely been uh, summer is going out with a bang here in Southern California between crazy heat waves and then a hurricane uh, that came up from San Diego is the closest hurricane in like 25 years or something like that. And so from extreme heat to then lots of rain, uh, this is a dynamic time in the world. Yeah, it's no wonder we keep talking about non-duality here, <laughs> practicing balance. How to stay in the change. Yeah. And I just love the prompt for this uh, gratitude blooming card. It says, the root of the word reverence means to stand in awe. What inspires awe in your life? So Arlene and Omar, I'd love to hear in this moment what that answer is for you, each of you. You know, um, it's wonderful to think about awe as just... And I love uh, the orientation to standing um, in awe. I feel like that sort of note just by itself is just one, just kind of physically reminding ourselves, like, where am I standing right now? And what am I really looking up at? Um, And what can I be in awe of? You know, I would say that... um, my my dad just was visiting for the last week, and he's the first uh, guest in our sort of uh, re redone house. Um, so it was wonderful to uh, have him there. Um, and then, you know, last time I saw him was in the beginning of 2020, before we even knew kind of COVID was a thing, and he was in a uh, a VA hospital on the floor that you're on before you go to hospice. And I remember uh, one of the night nurses being like, hey, I know you're just out visiting, but this might be your last visit. So say your goodbyes um, because most people uh, don't make it off this floor. And so we really sort of took the time to, you know, just celebrate. We we took him to the fancy restaurants in Asheville with the kids. We went to the museum and we got to go to the kids' corner and just draw. My dad loves, um, uh, you know, he's an artist at heart. And um, so it was just, it was a great uh, time. And then obviously 
COVID hit and things shut down and, um, and he is healthy enough though to travel. And so, uh, he and his wife, uh, took a train from, they moved to Kansas. And so they took a two day plus train ride, um, out here. And she went down to San Diego for a conference and he was hanging out with us. And so it was just, just felt like a bonus round. Um, and, you know, and so I think I'm in awe of perseverance. I'm in awe of the, the, the will to live, um, and just how important that will to live is. And really then what are we living for? And just how family, you know, kind of comes back to family so often. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Thank you for offering that perspective on what's really important. Arlene, what about for you? What is bringing awe in your life? Yeah, so um, Omar, just um, hearing that story, uh, thank you for sharing it. And it reminds me that awe is not just about like awe in the sense of like good things, right? Like awe can be, you know, you can be in awe of um, the things that make you feel small. And so they can be scary things. And so what comes up for me a little bit is um, I think the way a lot of artists portrayed this feeling of awe is through the sublime. And so it's sort of this feeling that you get. And it, it is often connected to nature. I talk about this because I get to like revisit this drawing that I made back in 2005 was based on uh, a painting by Van Gogh. And so I feel like um, these artists that really have stuck with us through time, they are capturing these fundamental things that we feel awe about. And what's really beautiful about Van Gogh is that these were just ordinary things that he observed in life, like the sunflower. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if you've, I've recently been seeing images of Van Gogh's, like he drew crabs, he drew, you know, things that, you know, he saw in the market, he drew the sky, right? So these are the things um, that I believe he felt awe from. I have a story that I can share about what came up for me as I revisited this artwork this week. I love the word sublime and just i appreciate you bringing that sort of feeling into this um space like just going back to sort of the etymology of sub meaning kind of under beneath or up to and then the lime is part of uh, old french uh, limit or a boundary and so it's just like what just takes us to our boundaries what takes us to our edges and I love that that's where we experience the sublime is like on the sort of edge of what we can understand and appreciate. What is that sort of threshold that, you know, I think of Oliver Wendell Holmes that a, a mind once stretched by a new idea never regains its original shape. And so the sublime is what allows us to sort of stretch what we think is possible. Well, here's the story for this week and this week's art. It was hard for me to work on this week's art for the sunflower and the theme of reverence. 
Last week, I intentionally used cool colors when drawing the agapanthus to counterbalance the high temperatures we were experiencing in the Bay Area. This week, the sunflower, originally based on a painting of two sunflowers by Vincent van Gogh from 1887, is incredibly fiery. The flowers feel like a ring of fire, like the sun, drawn as temperatures here in San Francisco were peaking. And I remember making the original drawing of these sunflowers on a cold, foggy day in San Francisco, in part to bring in some warmth to my studio. So what comes up for me in this week's art is a realization of how powerful it is to notice and honor the elements that make all life possible. Like the sun and fire that give us life, yet can also bring destruction, and the cooling water and warm air that come together to create the characteristic San Francisco fog. It's like there's a constant dance of the elements going on that makes up every experience we have in our lives. After revisiting Van Gogh's sunflowers this week, I feel like the magic in so many of his works is that he makes the elements dance through his use of color and texture. It's like his own reverence for life that he experienced through the elements and through nature is captured in his work. His reverence leaves us these dancing rings of fire that he captured in his sunflowers and so much more in his incredible body of work. Well, I so appreciate seeing the sunflower coming to life almost through a dance. And, you know, I always take note of the plants that you illustrated in the card deck, Arlene, that have more than one plant, you know, like it's a relationship and uh, feeling reverence and awe can be a really solo experience. And sometimes it can be amplified in relationship to others through their perspective or through the sharing of the experience. And that's really what I'm feeling right now from this new remix of the art. You know, you can see the one sunflower really open and it's almost like a vortex inside because in this depiction, you, you see the the seeds and then also the movement almost of the, of the interior of of the sunflower, like it's like its own inner world. And then behind it is almost this other more muted sunflower that's leaning up against it. And um, it's a relationship. Um, and I love how you talk about this dance with the elements, like all life comes from that relationship to some something else, you know, whether it's a person or an aspect of nature life i feel like we need to have a dancer uh as one of our guests mm. because it'd be wonderful to really hear how they sort of perceive and experience dancing and i just with these two sunflowers that are in some ways back to back so they're kind of facing away from each other it also has this like yin and yang type vibe to it where it's like 
how do we sort of there's what is really the front what is really the back and how are these things uh in relationship to each other and i wonder what that sort of how that relates to reverence how does reverence sort of pull us into that sort of yin and yang uh type dynamic and how ordinary it could it can be you know sometimes i think of reverence being this like very sacred very spiritual thing um, and I love that Arlene, you share how Van Gogh is like, no, it's, it's everyday life. Just how do you see it? Well, how do you choose to look at things? Right, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> it's the, it's the magical and the mundane. It's the sublime and the sort of simple, um, that that's where the sort of the contrast is appreciated. And, you know, I was just, um, somebody had posted on Twitter yesterday um and i don't normally retweet this person just because sometimes they say crazy things but this one i was like oh wow said you never really know the true value of a moment until it becomes a memory and i just i love that balance between what does it mean to be present and then what is sort of memory help us sort of look at things in context and so it's just sort of yeah, it's just this beautiful dance of how we experience life. And what a wonderful week to focus on reverence and with our guest, Effie Turnbull Sanders. And we're going to get a chance to really hear her speak about her relationship, her dialogue, her conversation with nature as a leader, and also to celebrate this idea of gratitude Fall is kind of this beginning of the season of gratitude. September 21st is actually World Gratitude Day. So we couldn't have even planned this uh, more intentionally, even though it just was more synchronistic to have a leader talk about her personal relationship with nature and also how this happens in the form of the culture that she's building in her team. Omar, do you want to share a little bit about how you met Effie and um, what brought us into that conversation? Effie is an awesome uh, leader here in Southern California and, you know, across um, really a range of areas from just uh, in academia. She's a university and um, she's a lawyer, though, by training um and worked in sort of uh the school district so always been mission oriented um and she also serves on um the California Coastal Commission uh which is probably one of the more powerful commissions here in California just because of our long coast and it's obviously fraught with political interests from you know environmentalists who want to protect it to folks who want to build right up to the edge um and how do we sort of strike uh, that balance. And so she's someone who just really has um, put herself forward um, as a leader here, not just in Southern California, but in California. Um, and is just also a dear friend. And so um, we've seen our kids uh, grow up together. And, um, you know, and I think she really has embraced um, this practice of gratitude. She asked uh, you and I, Belinda, to come in and work with her team, which she was hired uh, during COVID. And so never even really got to meet physically with her team. And as things started to kind of um, 
you know, after the vaccine, sort of people are trying to find a new normal. She really wanted a gratitude practice to help establish the culture um, of her team. And so it's been fantastic uh, to work with her professionally as well as just be a friend. Yeah. So for those of you that are curious about how these gratitude blooming themes live at work, we're going to really go into a lot of depth with that as we kick off World Gratitude Day and the beginning of the fall season, which is a lot about gratitude here in the U.S. So Effie, uh, she is the vice president of civic engagement at the University of Southern California. And so she's going to introduce herself just sharing how is this practice, this weekly practice, inspire awe in her team? My life has been such a race, a race from this, a race from that, um, as a mother, as a wife and leader, um, trying to fit it all in. And I think when things like this happen, it's a signal from the universe for me to stop for a minute. So I'm going to try and get my words together because I'm really right now overcome um, with emotion. And I was trying to keep myself calm as we started this conversation because I saw this card when you first uh, came on, Belinda. And um, I had a feeling this was going to happen, but we had our gratitude circle this morning and guess what card came up? Same one, the exact same one. And I, and you know, it was interesting. I thought, you know what? I bet they're going to do um, a pull from the deck. And I really thought when we pulled this card from the deck today, whatever we pulled, I thought, you know what? I would not be surprised if we had a conversation on this card. When I saw the card, it was kind of like, Everything seized up because I kind of knew this was going to happen, which is crazy. But also, as we're talking about synchronicity and happenstance and connectivity and being in flow, it is consistent with that. Um, and what came up this morning when I was talking about uh, what this pulled up, my first Inclination was to talk about synchronicity and the excitement and joy and feeling of connectedness with nature, with God, with my true self when I feel like things are unfolding, whether it's that feeling of deja vu when you're in a place, whether it's recalling a dream and feeling like you've been there before or um, whether it's looking at a, you know, sunset and feeling kind of almost like you're being pulled into it or you're almost in a different kind of dimension. It was so wonderful that she, A, was pulling cards with her team that morning, that she pulled the reverence card, and then that was the card uh, that you surprised her with. Um, and as she was describing that experience of being in a dream or looking like you're in a sunset, I feel like she was evoking the words of sublime uh, that Arlene shared uh, at the beginning. I had that same thought, Omar. I was like, I don't ever use the word sublime and I never think about that word. 
And in that moment, as she was just describing the flow and the synchronicity and the, and it just was like, that's what that is. You know, (laughs) (laughs) describing the sublime. Yeah. Growing up, I uh, felt um, like words were hard because, you know, I was learning English as a second language. And so I've always been more drawn to a feeling more than a word. And I love how this space is all about trying to merge the sensations and the feelings and the embodiment with a new vocabulary so we can really understand, well, what is that? And connect around it. So this next clip is just so sweet because, Omar, you kind of ask Effie, well, how does this work? What do you actually do? And I know this is a question that a lot of listeners have. A lot of people, when they reach out to us, they, they're they so curious, like, how do you actually introduce this in a workplace? How do you build culture around this type of feeling? and allow space for reverence. And so we're going to share with in Effie's words, how does she do this weekly ritual with her team? The person who kind of does the digital cards, she was out uh, this morning. So I had my handy dandy deck. And so I just held it up like I said, you know, we're going to do this Vegas style because I just got back from This Vegas. was with your team this morning. This was with my team this morning on Zoom. How many folks are on your team right now? Um, right now we have eight folks. So I'm holding up the card and then um, someone else chooses. And I put my finger along the spread out deck without me looking at the cards and kind of holding it up so folks couldn't see what was what was. Um, what was being displayed and then someone said stop there and I pulled it. So it wasn't me selecting it. It was actually a team member who selected it. So, um, but I still had the feeling interestingly before we even selected that this was going to happen, which again, in terms of the team, one of the, one of the challenges that I've had with the cards is dealing with that feeling of bubbling up of emotion, right? And particularly as a Black woman leader, um, there is not the same level of grace and uh, forgiveness for this sense of being emotional. You have the the kind of stereotype of the the Black woman, kind of the trope of um, being the angry black woman or overly hysterical or emotional. And so trying to find a space where I carve out my own sense of leadership in a way that allows for those uncomfortable moments and allows for a level of vulnerability has been somewhat of a challenge. And I think about the toxic kind of workplaces that I've been uh, been in in the past and trying to figure out, okay, I've got to get beyond this so that I can help to create a space for my team and my colleagues that's safe to express emotion. And I think during the pandemic and the use of the gratitude cards, you know, we've had tears, we've laughed, we've shared in um, in in deaths in births and it really has given us the ability to have a level of conversation that I've never really been able to experience in workplaces where I wasn't in 
you know, uh, uh, a leadership role. So I think it's been a tremendous blessing for us to have a tool that we could bond in some way, even when, you know, um, we're in a pandemic and we're in this two-dimensional kind of relationship. Being in a work environment where you can safely express emotion that was such a core part of the first half of the conversation is that we can't take for granted a sense of safety that we may or may we may feel in any particular environment because for Effie you know there was this real heaviness around not being able to show a side of herself because of the stereotypes of of black women and I felt a lightness in her voice when she went back to the conversations that she was able to have. And it almost creates these safe boundaries almost, right, for people to share in ways that otherwise wouldn't be um, safe. Well, that's the thing is we're all, we all feel all these emotions but we don't all feel comfortable being able to share them. And that's usually the the irony is that everybody be like, oh, we know what that person might be feeling, um, but there isn't really ever an opportunity to say anything um, or to listen, right? And, and to feel like you can express uh, what's just there and how to like just sort of be present to it. And I think that's like the heart of culture it's just culture is just made up of a series of practices. Practices are just what are those things that we do on a regular basis. And we either, you know, are in habit and just sort of defaulting to kind of whatever um, our norms are, or we're in practice and disrupting those habits, you know, and pushing sort of ourselves to be present. Um, and so it's just amazing that she's been able to create that culture and create that culture in a pandemic and create it largely on a zoom screen. Um, and so it just shows you the power of, of these practices uh, in very tangible ways. And vulnerability is, is the word that comes up, you know, obviously she's a leader that values vulnerability, even though she's trying to figure out, well, what is my way of being that as a leader and how important that is when you're, building a team to have vulnerability and it you know it's this there's a softness to that that can feel really uncomfortable but without vulnerability can you be authentic can you really trust people i don't know well and i think it's also redefining what vulnerability really means it mm-hmm. looks like it doesn't have to be this heavy oversharing thing either um, yeah, there are boundaries like just because you're sort of being vulnerable doesn't mean you kind of like are spilling your guts and, you know, I know there there's it is a work environment. And so how do you still show up um, as fully as you can and create the space for other people to show up in their best selves as well? And she has some great language around this. So we're going to get a sense of what that feeling is for her here in this clip that she shares. I would honestly say it's a little bit more playful Mm. Um, and it almost feels like we don't have to have a point 
you know, and being in a space where, you know, if you're constantly just focused on mindfulness and, you know, kind of your own well-being and how do you convey that, you lose a little bit of that authenticity. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really just been kind of a free space that allows conversation to flow. And I think to the point of the the work, Omar and, and Belinda, that you have done around kind of the gratitude circles as silence as a participant, I've learned a lot about how to relate with folks by kind of sometimes silence. So that is a different kind of language because typically I think silence is seen as something that has to be filled. Um, it's often awkward when there are silence, uh, points of silence, but allowing that to just be, um, also allows a, a level of stillness, um, that gets us away from, I think, kind of like the daily grind and the push to produce. Having an agendaless space <laughs> creates playfulness and flow. And it makes me think of last week's episode with Victoria Lores on perspective and how she talks about play helping us rewire the brain so much faster than even repetitive practice. <laughs> well, that's what, you know, play feels like a dance, right? There's a movement to it. Um and that's, you know, I appreciate that she's really, you know, the three principles that we share at the beginning of every gratitude circle is one, your inner teacher is your best guide. Two, therefore, there's no need to fix, save, or advise anyone else. And three, silence is a participant. And it really has just been amazing to see just those three principles, not like a long list of guidelines. You know, it's just, hey, how do you learn to just listen to what is true within yourself? How do you just listen to what other people have to say without feeling the need to do anything about it other than just being a witness uh, and just appreciating that we each have our own thing going on. And so silence just sort of creates enough space for that to happen. And yeah, authenticity can emerge when we don't have to think too much. I appreciated how she's just like, sometimes with mindfulness, you're still in your mind thinking, okay, what am I going to say? How do I convey this thing? And it can be really overwhelming. And, and when you're in the space where it's emergent and there is silence, like you just don't know what's going to come up until it does. Quakers probably had something going on with that practice. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, for those of you that are curious about how to hold this space, please reach out to us because there are so many simple ways to just hold that space for these conversations to flow, to allow for the unexpected to emerge and to learn new things about the people that you you see every day or work with every day and, and get new ideas and new perspectives. Really appreciate her sharing about that. What was really striking in the conversation was when it went from the professional to the personal. And Omar, you really, you know, because you know her personally, you know how accomplished Effie is working with environmental protection and stewardship. And, and you asked her this question of, you know, 
what inspired you to focus on that as a lawyer? And it was really unexpected, the turn that it took and how early those memories were that she shared of her relationship with nature. Uh, As a child, our family moved around a lot, but one of the places we lived in was a little semi-rural coal mining town called Fairmont, West Virginia. And in that space, um, my mom was able to purchase a home um, uh, through a government subsidy program, how she did it. I don't know. We were in and out of poverty. Somehow she got this house. And um, we were surrounded by, um, I had a mulberry tree outside my window. We made a homemade bird feeder with like a headboard of a bed and put bird seed on it right outside our um, kitchen window. Uh, we had neighbors who had cherry trees, apple trees. We went blackberry picking. Sometimes we'd bring stuff home to make pies. Half the time we'd spend just eating the fruit without washing it or anything. And it was there that I really developed my own kind of dialogue and conversation with, with nature and, and um, communal type of relationship. And back then, Sometimes I would walk to school by myself. We would never dare. I would never dare have my children walk to school by themselves at that age. But I remember even as early as six years old, sometimes I'd walk almost a mile to school by myself. And in that, in those moments, I had an opportunity to really take in and breathe in this rich, um, this rich kind of experience filled with um, greenery and trees. And I recall at an early age having my own dialogue with nature in these walks. And, you know, early on, my mom also participated in this program where, you know, um, if you were a welfare recipient, you could, I think it was through that, probably through like the FDA or something, the city would come out and plow your front yard or backyard and then would give you seeds and you could plant a garden. So we had this huge garden um, that ran like, you know, probably the length of two or three of our, ha- our house size. And we planted all kinds of vegetables um, and including sunflower, sunflowers. Um, and so we had this kind of, we had the sunflowers next to the corn and then, you know, for several years, we had volunteers that would come back. And so we we had this garden for a few years. So um, that relationship with the land, with being able to um, pick our own fresh fruit and vegetables and having more of a symbiotic type relationship where um, we would go visit national parks and state parks and uh, my mom would bring her watercolor set and she would, she was an artist. And um, as kids, my brother and I would also paint. And so we developed this early connection to nature and that persisted. Um, even though I would say for most of my life after that, I lived kind of in the concrete jungle space. Um, but that still pulls at my heartstrings. It still is 
something that I go back to is that kind of six-year-old child sometimes, you know, um, walking to school by myself and having this conversation outside with, with nature. You just totally picture her walking to school, picking those blackberries, just being able to have a garden in her front or backyard and just eat from the land. And I think, you know, in that sense, sometimes we think, oh, welfare, you're poor, you know, and then all all these sort of images uh, come up. But then you think about, well, what other kind of abundance did she also then get to experience in terms of really being able to feel safe enough to to walk to school, feel sort of uh, not any kind of sense of hunger, right? That she had in some ways the best local food possible. Uh, it's just it's just a great sort of reminder of the importance of being connected at an early age uh, to the great outdoors. Yeah, I really felt the expression of abundance as she spoke. And there there was this excitement that bubbled up as she was remembering herself at that age. And just everything she had was right there in front of her in her backyard. You know, I grew up, I think, kind of pre-K to third grade in the Pacific Northwest. And I took a ferry to school each day and walked, you know, to the ferry and from the ferry to the school and back. And you know, I had my neighbor's 180 pound, half husky, half Malamute dog was waiting for me at the end of the day uh, at the ferry for me. And, you know, we lived off this dirt road that was lined with blackberries um, and just being able to like smash them into my mouth as many as I could. Even, you know, learning to ride a bike and not knowing where the brakes really were and ending up in the blackberry bushes. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's a different sort of experience to be able to grow up like that. Yeah, it feels like a really deep, intimate relationship with nature and in like you're playing with nature in, in so many ways. And yeah, I would say for me, what inspires awe is just beauty. And so many aspects of the conversation with Effie brought me to that place of beauty, you know, like eating the fruit and the vegetables of the land that she talked about, uh, painting, creating art with nature and enjoying the water and admiring the sunsets. One of the things that I've really appreciated about spending some time on Big Island of Hawaii is every day at six o'clock, I know that's time to stop and look outside and just see this beautiful sun starting to set and it's almost like a nature is creating its masterpiece every day just for me and the clouds are kind of co-creating with the sun and every day it looks different based on how the ocean is is reflecting the sky and how the clouds choose to be present or not and the quality of the sunlight changes. And I think it's just being able to stop to really enjoy that. And it doesn't cost anything. Yeah, that <laughs> Effie's able to pull on this six-year-old memory to this day and it grounds her in how she's leading her team. It grounds her in how she's 
shaping policy for the state of California as it relates to how, you know, people get to connect to one of our great natural resources, which is our ocean um, here in California. And so it's just, I, I love how important these values are uh, and how embodied they are. And I think that's partly when you're playing, you're, there's no sort of separation. It's not like you in the game, you're just, you're in it, you know, you are in that flow state. And so she's able to kind of pull that in such a beautiful way. So the practice for this week, inspired by Effie and her reverence for nature and the sunflower, is to take a moment at some point throughout your day, stand outside, find the sun, And just feel the sunlight hitting your face, hitting your skin. Just imagining your body standing straighter like the sunflower as you receive the light of the sun. And just feeling the power of the light and the power of this element of nature that brings us life. And just breathing it in, letting yourself receive that warmth. And if you don't have access to the sunlight, doing that underneath a light in your house just feeling the warmth. Just these simple, everyday, ordinary moments can bring so much beauty and strength and awe in our lives. Just taking that time to notice and nurture that moment. Well, here's to the sublime. Cheers. Cheers. And for those of you who'd like to hold this type of space for your community, we recommend that you go to gratitudeblooming.com in the show notes and you can find out where to access your own digital Gratitude Blooming card deck for a Zoom circle or the actual cards, uh, the note cards that we've created uh, with Arlene uh, for your team to pick a card and reflect together. 